Well, if you missed us at the beginning of the service, just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms this morning. And I, as I look over, I, I see some, some family members who've come to celebrate mom uh, today. And I know I'm sure every mother is so honored that you would be here sitting with them in church and spending time with them this weekend. And we just love our moms. We want to honor you. And uh, thank you so much for all of you do the seen and the unseen, you know, all the elements of what it is to be a mom. Well, we are in our final week of our series called Sola, as we've really been unpacking and kind of looking at the doctrine of soteriology, or the doctrine of salvation in a world where there is, you know, deconstruction of faith and absolute truths have sort of been wide, uh, wasted away or people don't want to have absolute truth. We just felt it was important for us to kind of rediscover again what is true when it comes to salvation. And this is not something that we're making up. This is not our opinion. This is found in Scripture, this is going back to what the Bible says about Scripture. And, uh, and so we are in this series. I have been loving it. I have been enjoying studying it. I've actually really enjoyed our kind of post-Sunday follow-up through our Sunday Encore. It's a, a podcast we're now doing, uh, Pastor Spencer and I. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, you want to go do it. It's super fun. I, I'm actually really loving the environment. And I hope it serves as an additional resource to the d- discussions we're having on Sundays. But the truth is we need to know what we stand for, what we believe about salvation. As the old adage goes, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. And so just as a quick recap for those who are joining us, we are looking at sola, which is that Latin word for alone. And back in the 16th century, when the church had sort of lost its way, had drifted from center and started adding layers of complexity and hurdles to achieving salvation, the reformers said, listen, there's only one God, there's only one meteor between God and man. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And all other elements or all other hurdles are not biblical. They are man-made. And so we can't get into all of that, but what is happening is that the, the history of the church, they rediscovered what was already there. It's important for us to understand that we don't believe in the five solas because the Reformation points us to them. We believe in the five solas because it is biblical. We believe in the five solas because this is God's word and God's intent, intent for salvation. And while we drift and while we get distracted and while we maybe get detoured along the way, sometimes we need to come back to center. What does Scripture have to say? What does God have to say about salvation? And so really, really quickly, we talked about grace alone, sola gratia, which is God's grace, God's unmerited favor. Until we acknowledge the human condition of our heart, we'll never accept God's grace, God's unmerited favor. Then we talked about sola fide, which is through faith alone. It's how we receive God's grace, right? Saving faith not only knows and believes the facts about Jesus, but also trusts in the person and the work of Jesus alone for salvation. So we have grace alone, faith alone. Who is that faith in? We're not faith in faith itself. Our faith is anchored in a person. That person's name is Jesus. It's sola Christus. It's Christ alone. We believe that the right Jesus is righteous life. His obedient death, his triumphant resurrection is the only basis on which God's justice is satisfied, where God makes you and I, sinners, right in his sight. We realize that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so we talked about that. Last week, Pastor Nick talked about sola scriptura, this idea that our faith is now, we read scripture to understand 
who Christ is and how we can live towards Christ. We understand that the Bible is our supreme authority in Christian faith and practice. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is God-breathed. Not some scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, meaning God inspired the 40 writers. The inspired to useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be what? Be, be boastful of knowledge? No, no, no. May be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Matthew Barnett's, uh, Barrett says that all other authorities in the Christian life serve underneath Scripture, while Scripture alone rules over authority. That's a 30-second recap of the last four weeks. If you've missed any one of those, you want to just go back and watch them. But today we're going to complete with the final sage, for in God's, for the glory of God alone, for sole dia gloria. Many of us are familiar with the composer, the 18th century composer, Johann Sebastian Bach. Maybe you don't appreciate his music, that's okay, but you know who he is. And he was famous, he, he's one of history's, or the Western musician's greatest composers, known in his lifetime for the exceptional talents on, on organ, is composing these amazing triumphal musicals, uh, scores. And he had so much, if we were to look at the human level, he had so much to boast about in his own ability. He's been praised and regarded, and his work has survived over centuries. But yet, uh, Bach dedicated his entire work to God. If you go and look at the original manuscripts, at the very top of every manuscript, you would see the initials J.J., which is Latin for Jesus Juve, which means Jesus, help me. Jesus helped me, the top of all of his work. And at the end of each work, at the completion of the work, he writes S-G-S-D-G, sole de gloria, for the glory of God. So all of his work was from God and for God. I think that's an amazing illustration of what our life could look like every day when we get up, that Lord help me, and this is all for your glory. As we complete this uh, this, as, we can, as we contemplate salvation, rather, the works of grace and faith and Christ's atoning sacrifice, hear me today, it is essential for us to note the sole object of our praise and adoration is to the glory of God. Everything, salvation, is for the glory of God. It is not for ourselves in which we may boast, but it's all for him. I want to read some scripture with you this morning. We're going to talk about what this means as far as the application of our life. We're going to look at some of the, the history of glory throughout Scripture. And then we're going to talk about what do we do with that. You know, what do we do with this at the end? You feeling good? Everyone feeling ready to go? I, I, if I'm going to be, can I be a little bit candid with you this morning? I feel a little bit unworthy to be able to talk about the glory of God. <laughs> like, I honestly do. I've been feeling this pressure all week, this, this weight. And it's not a pressure myself because I'm not here in my own strength. But there is a, pre, there is a weight to the glory of God. And I don't want you to just hear what I want you to hear what I want to say. I want you to catch this. I want you to get a glimpse of this because it's only when we have this personal revelation that our life is a reflection of God's glory that we will continue to live this out. I cannot convince you this. You need a personal revelation. So I just pray you hear me and hear the word of God this morning for you. Romans 11, 34, 36 says, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows him enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by him and is intended for him. I love how the NIV says it's from him and through him and for him are all things, right? All glory. Someone say all glory. 
All glory. Come on, say that again with conviction. All glory. All glory is to who? Is to him. Is to him. Amen. So be it. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens what? Declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. First Chronicles 29.11 says yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven is on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom for you are exalted as head over all. The end of the book, Revelation 4.11, for you are worthy, O Lord, our end God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Continue on to the next chapter, Revelation 5.13, and then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the heavens, in the sea, in the earth, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne to the Lamb forever and ever. You don't have to, there's so, I could, I could just keep, I could just sit here and read Scripture all for the next 25 minutes. Because all of Scripture, scripture points to the glory of God. I'm just giving you a taste of what Scripture has to say. And so if the glory of God, what is this glory that the authors are, and the scriptures are talking about? It seems pretty spectacular, seems pretty special, seems pretty set apart. But here's the thing, if you and I don't fully understand it, how can we join in with them in giving it back to God? And so my hope here today is that we catch a glimpse of what his glory is and how it's reflected in and through our lives in order that we may live in a place where we get to give all glory to God in our words, in our deeds. There's, the word glory is written throughout the whole Testament, the Old, New, Old Testament and New Testament. The whole Old Testament word is the word habak, which if you were to look at the meanings, it means heavy or weighty or the presence or influence. Example of what, how that would play is that maybe you're in a room and you're with a bunch of people and then somebody walks into the room and everybody notices that person, Right? Or when you're in a group and you're having a conversation and somebody speaks and all of a sudden their words weigh heavier, right? It speaks to a weight of their influence. This glory, when they come into the place, we recognize who they are. It, they take notice. The word in the Greek is doxa, and it speaks of a radiance in display. It's that when you experience something's heavy or impactful, and it's not just that you experience it, but it actually has an effect on you. It changes you from the inside out. It speaks to this idea of God's infinite excellence that nothing can be added to or taken away. Again, it's really hard to get our head around this essence of glory. And so to help kind of break it down, even from my own thinking, I had to sort of step back and I had to understand the distinction between God's holiness and God's glory. Because if you talk about them too much, they kind of feel like they're intertwined. They're, they're, they're part of the same thing, and they are. They're, they're part of the same object as we worship God. And here's the way, the best I could describe it for you today. Is that if God's holiness is his essence, it's who he is, well then God's glory is the expression of his holiness. Clear as mud, right? You guys got that figured out. You're good to go home. Let me explain it this way. I mean, try, try to find some earthly illustrations to talk about the glory of God is kind of a hard stretch. But let's just take a step back. Let's try to figure our heads around this. I want us to imagine the sun. I believe it's the best natural example. 
The sun is the center of our solar system. Everything in our natural world revolves and orbits around the sun. None of us can add to the brilliance of the sun, nor none of us can take away from the brilliance of the sun. We can shine as many flashlights and torches and candles at the sun, and we will not add to the brilliance of the sun. It just is. It was there before us, and it will be there long after us. But trying to explain the sun to someone who's never seen or experienced the sun is a little bit awkward. It's like, okay, well, there is this huge ball of gas floating in the space, and it's on fire, but it doesn't explode. You're trying to picture what this looks like. You know, we say, well, it's, 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 about, a, it's about 109 times bigger than the earth. In fact, you can put 1.3 million earths inside the size of the sun. Like, you're trying to explain it, right? And then you start using words and concepts like, it's, it's, it's like beautiful, it's, it's powerful, it's majestic, it's glorious. And you try to describe the essence, the glory, the power, the majesty of the sun. You see, we experience the essence of the sun, and that expression of the sun, sun's glory, what does it do? It warms us, and it reveals light to our surroundings. So we experience its essence, but the expression of it is through this glory that warms us and reveals light. What do you do when you go on holidays? If you're like us, when we go on holidays, we go to the warm places. We're not much of a toury type of people, but we like to go somewhere where the sun is hot, right? And we bathe in the essence of the sun. And then when we come home, we see the evidence of the sun on our skin. My wife is tanned, and I am not. I am red. Or not, because I hid in the shade the whole week, you know? But like we, we see the impact of the sun on our body. We experience a powerful effect. See, glory is something that you experience first, and then you express it. So we experience the powerful effect of God's glory in our lives, and we express it back in the worship and adoration in return. We experience the impact of the sun, and we express the impact in our life by how we live and move throughout the day. And so if God's glorious, if God is glorious in his expression, right, we see God's glorious expression, then why don't I experience this glory all the time? It could be resolved, like we say this all the time, this kind of question comes up, well, why do good things happen to bad people? Why is there evil in this world? Why is there sin in this world, right? Like it's part of all that same narrative. Well, if God is all good and, and great, then why is there darkness? If God is all good and great, then why is there evil? Why don't we experience the glory of God, the goodness of God all the time? Maybe you've heard a question like that before. Well, here's the thing. I was thinking about it this week. As, just as the sun orbits around the earth, the moon also orbits around the sun. And sometimes the earth rotates away from the sun. Sometimes the earth rotates in a way where there's an absence of life and dar or light and darkness resides. See, what is sin? Sin ultimately is the absence of God. It is the opposite of God. When we're in the absence of God, darkness resides. It rotates around the sun. Romans 3.23 tells us this, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can say that all have sinned and, and rotated away from, the glory, from God's glorious light. Our sin has rotated us away 
to the other side where the light is no longer seen in our lives. 2 Corinthians tells us that the, the God of this age is what? Has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. Like it's hidden from us because we've rotated away of the gospel that displays what? The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's my thought for this morning, is if you are not experiencing the glory of God, maybe it's because something inside of you and I, something inside of us has rotated away from seeing God's glory. God has not shifted. The sun has not moved. The sun does not move. The earth rotates around the sun. And so if you are not experiencing the glorious light of God in your life, if you feel like you are walking in darkness and in fog and in separation from God, then maybe we have to evaluate ourselves and say, have I rotated away? Am I living in the darkness? You cannot express what you cannot and have not experienced. And here's the thing. What happens is when we find ourselves on the rotation side, what do we do? This is our human condition. We try to manufacture the light, don't we? We just try to manufacture our own light, and we call it glory. We try to boast about ourselves and our own works and our own accomplishments, but it's, it pales in comparison. It's like holding up a candle compared to the sun. It just will not and cannot compare. And this is our human condition. When we, when we refuse to acknowledge that we are sinners, when we refuse to acknowledge our need for salvation, when we choose, when we choose to ag not acknowledge that we have rotated out of our own actions and our own will, our own will being rotated away from the sun. The sun has not moved. It stayed the same, offering his light to anyone who receives it. And so here we are, we're sitting in this absence of God's light, God's glory, and this is something that has been being from the human condition from the very start. I was reading through history and I was studying the Bible again. And I noticed that there is a pattern here where God resides and reflects and reveals his glory to us. And I want to show you this here really quickly this morning. You guys with me okay? Everyone's good? Everyone's happy? Knock, knock. No, I don't have a joke. I'm just joking. Stay with me here. So what we see in Genesis, in the very beginning, God created the earth. And we see that God's glory, I love this, he resided among his creation. This is the glory of God. This was his intent. He said when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created Eve and Eve, he, he, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he resided among his creation. In the very beginning, he, Adam and Eve, they walked with God and they enjoyed the glory of God. They didn't even know any different. It was just what they had known. It was, it was the presence of God. But as you read through the story of Genesis, you read through the story that, that Adam and Eve, that temptation had entered into their heart. And they chose not to experience the glory of God, but thinking that they could manufacture it on their own. And this is when sin entered the world. And this is when that separation happened. And because sin entered the world and God's glory cannot reside with sin, what did he have to do? He had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. We see this in Genesis 3:24 that God removed them from his presence. He removed them from his glorious presence. And God's glory has then been hidden from humanity as they tried and failed to recreate the glory of God, the light of God on their own. Allow yourself to sit back and just think about the implications of that and how much drama and how much pain that has caused our world. Fast forward almost 2,500 years and Moses is now on the scene. And Moses is now trying to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and create a nation that's sort of following God as the, as, the, as the voice of God. And we see that in Genesis 34 that God actually revealed, God's glory was actually revealed 
to Moses. This is the first time in 2,500 years where the glory of God is actually revealed to his creation, to humanity. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai in, in Exodus, if you read it, and he's up on Mount Sinai, and he wants to see the glory of God. He wants to experience the glory of God. But God is like, you cannot handle the truth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. He can't handle the glory of God. Some of you get that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's old school, man. My age is showing there. Um, he wants to experience the glory. So what does God do? God says, well, I'll pass by and you'll see my back, right? You'll see, I can't show you my, you can't handle it, but I'll show you my back. And what happens is he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He experienced the back of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. He comes down from the mountain and his face is radiating. It is like glowing because of the presence of God. And the people of Israel are freaked out. No doubt, right? You, didn't, you weren't glowing when you went up the mountain, but now you're glowing like something. And he had to veil himself. He had to cover himself because they could not handle, not even the reflection of God's glory they couldn't handle. And so Moses descended and it impacted him. This is the thing I love about it. It's like God's glory had an impact on him, so much so that the people noticed the difference in Moses. He wasn't the same after he experienced the glory of God. Something was noticeably different in his life. Then we fast forward and God, about another, another several years, and God, then God's glory resided in his tabernacle, resided in his temple. When God gave Moses the ability to make the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant became God's presence on the earth, right? It became God's throne room on the earth. And so God's presence resided in the tabernacle, the first, the tent. And then later when King Solomon built the temple, moved into the temple, the same dimensions. He had the outer courts, the inner courts, the whole, and the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the glory of God resided on the earth. And we've talked about this several times, but once a year, the high priest, only the high priest, one time a year, after ceremonial ritual, after cleansing, after making sure who's up with the spot, or wrinkle after sacrifice, is able to go into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. So much so, and there was also a whole lot of faith for that, because they had to tie a rope around his ankle with bells, just in case he fell dead, they could pull him out without going in, you know? And so they go into the presence of, so God resided in his temple, but he resided within the confines of the tabernacle. The, the curtain, there was this, the Bible talks about these curtains that were put up that were, that were about 60 feet tall. They were monster. They weren't like little curtains you put in front of your window, like four inches thick, 60 feet tall, these huge curtains that separated the presence of God, the holiness of God, and the people. And for about 1,500 years, the presence of God resided in the temple resided in the holy of holies. And then we, Jesus shows up. Come on, this is where the New Testament gospel shows up. Jesus shows up on the scene. And he comes and he lives this righteous, spotless, perfect life that we have talked about already. And he dies upon the cross as the one and only sacrifice, the, the final atonement for all of our sins. No longer do we need to be washed by the blood and go through the process of restoration and atonement for our sins. For Jesus was the final atonement. And in his death, and when he said, it is finished, the debt is paid. The veil of the temple that had separated the presence of God from the people was torn in two from top to bottom, as if God himself was saying, come on in. Come and experience the goodness and the presence and the glory of God. And we see that God's glory then re was revealed to his people. To you and I, not just to the prophets, not just to the priests, but to you and I. God was making a statement and inviting us in. John's Gospel 1.14 says, The word 
Jesus, the Word, the man God, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And why? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, God stepped into our darkness. And what did he do? He, he did something that we couldn't do. We could not rotate ourselves. And so God says, oh, I'm going to rotate myself. I'm going to help you rotate so you can see me. I'm going to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to rotate you back around to receive the glory and see the glory and know the glory of God, to know the light and live in the light. And so like Moses, his glory would radiate in our lives. Again, when you and I experience the glory of God, it should make a noticeable difference in our lives. Our lives should glow. Our lives should radiate. Our lives should look different when we find ourselves in the presence of God. Excuse me for getting a little excited. But the presence of God should mark us. The glory of God should be radiant in our lives. If it's not, we've got to ask a different question, don't we? And so we see this, and then all of a sudden, I love this. I love what happens as we continue to experience the presence of God. As, his, as the glory of God is revealed to us, the next thing that happens is that the glory of God is reflected in his people. So not only do you get to experience and reveal God's glory revealed to you, is that now God's glory is revealed to you in a way that now you can reflect his glory, the glory of God. I love how Jesus tells us in Matthew, this is, pre, this is pre-death and resurrection, so this, he's just sort of setting the scene, but he says, you are in the same way, he's talking about how he is the light of the world, in the same way, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father's in heaven, your Father in heaven, what is he saying? He's not saying that we are lights, that we have the ability to be the sun. But he's saying, I am the light of the world, and so let your light shine. How do we let our light shine if he is the light of the world? We simply remove the veil and allow the reflection of God's Son to reflect in our life. The sin that, so, that mars us and distorts us and distracts us and gives a skewed perspective of God, we allow God to clean that. To, to make us new, to wash us as white as snow, so the reflection of our life, the way you hand up, hold up a mirror to the sun, reflects the sun. He's saying, let your light shine before men. We are not saved from our works, but we are saved for good works, right? We talked about this in faith, that the, that the works of God are to glorify God like mirrors reflecting the sun. I was thinking about that again this week as we think about the orbit and the galaxy and the sun and the moon and Think of us, just take the moon, for example. The moon is just the rock, right? It's a floating rock. It has no sun. It has no light in and of itself. And we look at the moon and we say, that is a glorious moon. When the glory of a moon is on full display, what does it say? It's because the full moon is exposed to the sun. When the full moon is exposed to the sun, we get a glorious, reflecting, bright moon, don't we? And every one of us, when we see it happen, we're like, wow, look at the moon tonight. It's amazing. The moon itself offers no light. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And when the moon becomes, here's the thing, I want you to think through this. When the moon becomes more important than the sun, when the moon tries to hide the sun, what happens to the world? We get an eclipse, right? And the world goes in complete darkness. Thankfully, it only happens a couple times a year for only a couple moments of the year. Because a light, a world, a world without the sun is a dark world. But when the moon understands its place and doesn't take, take the glory from God, but understands reflecting the glory of the sun, it, it, it blooms 
into a beautiful place. See, the, a glorious moon simply means this, that the way the moon is reflecting the sun is glorious. A glorious moon simply says that the way that the moon is reflecting the sun is glorious. A glorious Christian, if we were going to call that, an attractive Christian, an attractive Christ follower, is simply one who allows the glory of God to be fully reflected in their life. That's it. This is what it means to reflect the glory of God. I love that even though the, without the sun, the moon is simply a rocket. I was thinking about this, and maybe I'm going a little bit too far. And if I am, just give me grace, okay? But we understand that the sun, the moon and the sun. So the, the sun is glorious. The moon is just a rock. And the, and the glorious rock, a glorious moon is a reflection of the sun. I love that Peter, that, James, that Jesus talks to Peter, which means rock. And he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And we may feel like a bunch of rocks. But I'm telling you what, when you get the glory of God reflecting in full light, he will build his church on you. He will build his church in your life and your faith and obedience as you continue in everything you do. Give glory back to God. Give glory back to God. Reflect God. Reflect God. I believe God will continue to pour out his blessing and pour out his glory in your life as we full review. Give God the glory of our lives. He will build his church. You may say, I'm just a floating rock. I got nothing to offer. Just position yourselves to reflect the glory of God and let him do the work. Just let him do the work. Full view of his reflection in the same way that darkness has no sway over the light, sin has no power over God's glory. And here's, here's this the beautiful completion to this, which we are yet to see. Because one day, soon and very soon, one day God's glory will reside again among his creation. It's coming. We haven't seen this yet. We haven't experienced this yet. But one day, the Bible tells us when God returns for those who love him, for a, br a bride without spot or wrinkle, for those who believe in Jesus, who've given their life for him, who've accepted God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, according to Scripture, for the glory of God alone, for all those, they will then live among, reside among the glory of God again. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. For what? For the glory of God the Father. So here's the final point to our message. Here's the final point to our series. And I hope you hear me. Because this is my passion. This is my prayer for us as a church in our community. Really, it speaks to the overflowing effect, doesn't it? If we allow ourselves to understand that we're leading people into an overflowing relationship of Jesus, we can transfer that, that, that overflowing word with reflecting. We're leading people into a reflecting relate, relationship with Jesus where we reflect God's glory in everything we do. And if we here we understand, this is what we want to know today, is that the doctrine of salvation, salvation is about reflecting God's glory to others. It's, it's, about, it's, it's all it is. Salvation is not for your benefit. Yes, you get the benefit from it. There's no question. But it's an opportunity for God's glory to be reflected to those who do not know. To those who do not know the creator, who do not know, who do not know God. Salvation is not about you. Salvation is always about him. It's always about him. It's always about him. So how do we respond? What, what does this look like practically in our lives? Two thoughts I want to share with you before we're going to close. We're going to sing the song Doxology as a prayer. 
as we close our time together this morning. But as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I was drawn again to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, for those who don't know. He was a prophet. He spoke, on the voice, he spoke from the voice of God to kings in his time. And he had a, he had a vision. He had a, he had a vision of something, and he wrote this down, and here's what his vision is in 6.1. He says, In the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Not, not God, but just the train of his robe. That's how much glory was just even in his presence. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings, and they, they covered their face with, face. with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of the voice, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah, woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen God, the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will reflect my glory to others? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. See, if salvation is not for us, it's for him, then there's two responses that we have as we read this scripture, as we read this encounter that Isaiah had. The first thing is when we experience God's glory, it should humble us. It should humble us. We should have a woe is me moment, right? Like when we understand who God is, the holiness of God, the glory of God, the essence of God, the supremacy of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the wonder of God, if we can fully get a glimpse of it the way Isaiah did, it would make all of us fall to our knees and realize how sinful and foolish and broken and deceitful and envious and jealous we all are. And it should humble us and say, God, woe is me. When we get a full glimpse of our human condition apart from God, when we recognize that we are sinners with unclean lips, divided hearts, and selfish motives, but here's the good news, but God, because of his great love for us, he loves us as we are, but he chose to not leave us the way we are, and he made a way to reconcile us back into relationship with him. This is a good news of the gospel. This is the New Testament church that we get to sit in because we know how the story ends. We know, we, we know the middle part. We know that he came as a redemption for all of us to invite us back in, to reveal his glory to us. We get to receive grace grace, unmerited favor like the hot coal on our lips that we have been atoned for and forgiven. We go back to Ephesians 2. This is where we all started. I'm going to read it for you. This is where it all began. This is where our story began. This is where our series began. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, why? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were not bad. We were dead. 
in our own sins, in our own transgressions. It wasn't something that happened to us. It was something we did. We have to own it. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rules of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient, that's pulling you away from God. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its evil desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Woe is me! But, I love when there's a big but in the middle of a sentence. Come on, but, but, because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised up Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming of ages we might be show, the, we might reveal, we might reflect the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one should boast. For, for, why for? For this, for we are God's handiwork, created Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared for us in advance. So experiencing God's glory should humble us, but here's the next thing. Experiencing God's glory should send us. When we experience God's glory, we should be humbled by it, but when we experience God's glory, we should also be sent. Who will go and reflect my glory to those? Who will go and show through good works, reflect the glory of God? We love because of his great love for us. Salvation, again, is simply reflecting God's glory to others. We are saved through faith, but saving faith is never alone. Our lives, our works, the way we relate and interact with one another are simply a reflection of God's glory on full display. I love how Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, and whatever you do, whatever you do, in work or in deed, do it for the what? The glory of God. This is what we do. I'm so excited. This is going to tease up our next series really, really well. We're going to spend the next month and a bit looking at the book of James, applying our faith to our works and what does this actually look like, how we live out the faith of God in our life. So I'm going to invite you to stand your feet across this place. I know I spent a lot of time yelling at you this morning. I hope, yeah. <laughs> I hope you heard my heart. I just want you to know. I want you to hear this. I want you to memorize this. I want you to be able to rest in it. When the days you feel like you have to earn something that you don't deserve, I want you to know that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. I love the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It writes, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What a privilege it is to be invited into such a relationship. We are the sole benefiters. It cost Him everything. And it simply costs us obedience and faith to receive grace know him, to walk with him, and reflect him in his full glory. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads across this place. I'm going to just ask two quick questions before the band leads us in a song. If you're in this place this morning, you've never experienced Jesus, you never invited him into your heart, 
You never made him Lord of your life. You never acknowledged the sinful condition of your heart. You never received forgiveness through faith in Jesus today. I want to give you that, that, that opportunity. You, you can know without a shadow of a doubt today that you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. You don't have to question that. You don't have to doubt that. There's a lot to learn as you walk in that, but you can receive it today in a moment. I'm going to be praying for you in a second. I want you to think about that. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, tugging at your heart and saying, that's me. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never experienced that. I've never walked with Him. And if that's you, I'm going to, I'm going to, count, on, I'm going to count to three in just a couple moments. And I simply just want you to, no one's looking around. It's just me looking. I want to acknowledge you. I want you to acknowledge it. Just lift up your hand and say, pray for me. I want to experience Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you across this place, I'm going to count to three. I want you to lift up your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Across this place, just lift up your hand. If you just want to experience the Lord, receive the Lord as your Lord of your life. I see those hands. Come on, just keep them up. Just receive it. This is between you and God. It's between you and God right now. Thank you. You can put those hands down. We're going to pray for you in just a moment, but I want you to know as you acknowledge him before man, he will acknowledge you before his father. That's what the Bible tells us. So I believe in this moment you've received salvation as a posture of the heart. It's not just about a prayer, it's a posture of the heart as you receive him. I also want to speak to those that maybe you're in this room and you have been following Jesus your life. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. But if you're honest with yourself, you would say the reflection of my life is marred. The reflection of God's glory in my life is distorted. My, the, the mirror of my life needs cleaning. It needs a little Windexing in order to give a, a pure reflection of God's glory to others. So that through my works and through my deeds and through my conduct and my character, I'm actually reflecting the glory of God. If that's you, again, eyes closed around this place. It's between you and God. If that's you, I'm going to count the three. I want you to lift up your hand. I don't want you to acknowledge it before God. And I want you to ask him to clean you again. I want you to receive his grace again. His mercies are new every morning. And today you can walk in the complete forgiveness, wholeness, and restoration of his grace. So on the count of three, I'm going to count to you. I'm talking to you. One, two, three. Come on, go ahead across this place. If you just need God's glory to clean you again, to refresh and renew your heart. No one's looking around. It's between you and God. You're just asking me. As you're lifting your hand, you're asking God, heal me. Restore me. Make me new. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, may the reflection of my life be pure and spotless. We give glory to you alone. Go ahead. You can keep those hands up. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much for your glory. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for loving us as we are, but loving us too much to leave us the way we are. And Father, we pray that the lives that we live would be a pure and clear reflection of your glory on display. God, we pray that the words of our mouth and the conduct of our character, the actions and our reactions, God, would give glory to you. God, that, the, that everything we do be for your name's sake. May our lives be a full reflection. Forgive us for rotating away, for trying to manufacture the light on our own. We acknowledge our need for you today. We accept your grace, maybe for the first time or another time. God, maybe we're accepting your grace for the first time in salvation or another time as we continue to reflect your glory day in and day out through faith today. We love you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory forever and ever. And if you agree with me, can you just say amen today? Amen. Amen. If you today, if you made that acknowledgement that you want Jesus in your life to, life to be the Lord of your life, maybe that was the first time you prayed a prayer like that or acknowledged that, there's a card in front of you called the Connect card. If you just take a couple moments and fill that out, we would love to walk with you and resource you and what that actually looks like to follow Jesus to reflection of his glory. You can bring it back to the Welcome Center. We'd love to follow up with you this week. But I asked Spencer and the team to lead us in this final song, this 
doxology song. It's been around for a long time. And it's a prayer of faith, a prayer of declaration, almost like a ceiling of what we've been talking about. So let's just pray this. Let's sing this together as we go before we go this morning. I'll be right back. Let's sing this together.